At the signal, time will be out of joint. Hello, and welcome to Weird Signal, a podcast of all things weird, eerie, and hauntological. I'm Lucy, and as ever, I am here with Sean. Hello. Hello, Sean. And um, this episode is uh, slightly atypical. It is something of a departure from our usual episode format and also our ongoing interview series format in that we're not going to be talking about the film, uh, but we are in fact going to be talking about what is happening right now in time and on the internet. We're also Um, uh, recording in two different locations. I'm uh, in Brighton at the moment, so uh, hopefully everything should be fine, Uh, but uh, the sounds might be a little bit different from usual, but... uh, Yes. Well, yes. And and we're dead cold sober. <laughs> oh, we <laughs> which are. Is, which is, is jarring. Um, but yeah, so um, specifically, I mention. Uh, well, I mean, like, how are you doing, Sean? Ah, uh, I am hungover. But other than that, I am quite well. I have constructed an impromptu sound tent with a tent with a throw. I just kind of have draped over and about me, and it's really, really uncomfortably warm in here. So there you go. I'm just, I'm just ad libbing. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna roll with my echo. I'm going to have my personal reverb, my personal. Ad- <laughs> I'm tempted to uh, go full Henry Zabrowski uh, and just strip essentially nude underneath here because I can. I'm in my house, but I, I mean, shan't. That's, that's entirely legitimate. I mean, what I'm planning to do is like basically, rather than try and deaden the echo, I'm in fact accentuating the echo as much as possible so that in centuries to come, audio archaeologists can um, can study these recordings that I've made. And in much in the same way that audio archaeologists are discovering some very, very interesting things about the sonic composition of Stonehenge, they can find out um, the layout of my room in Haringey. Um, but so, and that's, so that brings us basically to what we're talking about today. Um, which is two things that are happening on the internet. One is that as we hinted very heavily, or in fact just straight up said in our last episode when we talked about the thing with Chris, we are getting on Patreon. Um, And so, yeah, so this is going to see some things that aren't going to change about the podcast, but some things that are definitely going to increase. Um, Well, one of them being the fact that... um, we're going well. One of the things that's staying the same is that we're keeping our monthly episodes, um, and those will come out. Um, those will come out every monthly. month. Um, yeah, monthly. Uh, we'll also be keeping up our interview series. We don't have a regular kind of cycle for that yet, but we're kind of working towards it. But that's something that's going to be kind of additional to that, and we're just yeah. going to try and get them out as much as possible. Yeah, I don't want um, to. I don't want to jinx it, but uh, we have a good one lined up, which I'm not going to say anything else about about who it is. But uh, should we've be got quite some pretty solid one. stuff lined up. Um, and also, uh, in addition to that, though, uh, you're going to be hearing things, well, uh, as well as, uh, you know, everything that I've just mentioned, those two types of episodes, those are going to be free and on the internet and publicly accessible, publicly accessible, and that's never going to change. Um, but in addition to that, uh, we'll be, uh, starting a series of recordings, which we're going to put out, um, at the same time, on a similar kind of monthly basis, but, um, but at different points throughout the month to, compared to our... Uh, our other episodes um but this these are going to be um, what we're referring to as the encrypted transmissions which are effectively going to be slightly less formal uh takes on things because um we're going to be 
looking at the currents that we've always been interested in in modern society and culture, uh, but forming a kind of framework for engaging with them uh, in in space, in you know, in 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 the moment, in as they come up while they're still topical. Hence the fact that uh, this today's episode uh, will not seem quite as well rehearsed as. Um, as other things because we because we're here on the ground it's ground zero on the internet as it always is and it's happening now in your face yes 24 or 7 100 days um <laughs> <laughs> um and and so um but we'll you know obviously this is the first time doing this so we're probably going to try and sound a bit more smooth but you know this is what we sound like when we've not got bullet points people so this is how in fucking insufferable we are yeah we're, we're bad people it's a miracle we have any friends at all really <laughs> yeah um, well 427 yeah. followers that's pretty good though <laughs> we also have um we, we might also use these encrypted transmissions as places to do um to cover topics that don't quite warrant uh a full episode um on their own uh like there's a film that we might talk about which can't quite do an entire monthly episode on but might be recording a little bonus thing on or content that was originally going to be part of an episode but we uh cut out for uh time uh like for mm. example i have there's some notes about uh, david ike uh which uh were going to appear in the man who fell to earth episode but we felt that they uh it just didn't quite gel with the actual uh flow of it when we came to uh, listening back through it so we might uh, revisit that i just have as uh, mm. a little bonus thing there a bit of whackery about uh arthur yeah. and dave um david david ike he warrants his own space but it is very much a liminal space that in fact that's the only type of space warranted the uh but yeah we're not going to be um altering the um the structure of the process when it comes to our standard episodes uh or anything like that we're yeah. not going to you're not going to mi- you're not going to miss out on anything you would have had otherwise um and and we're not going to and also, we're good. I'm going to keep up the ref threads. I'm sorry they've taken so long. I'm on it, guys. Um, <laughs> right, I've got so- notes, actually, now of like what I still need to post about Nosferatu. It's just finding <laughs> the time. Um, right. uh, well, yeah. without further ado, shall we well, uh, go um, through... Actually, wait. You want yeah, to go Patreon through the, uh, the Patreon levels, Luz? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, uh, we got... So, um, as, as to, to stick to it, we're trying to kind of form a coherent terminology with the practice of weird signal and so as listeners or supporters of the podcast yeah, we we tend to th- we like to think of you as operators uh, and we've divided these into operator class magenta uh which is our kind of standard level tier which is going to be the one dollar a month thing um in which uh you will um you will give us well it's basically just if you want to sling us a dollar every month to see the continuation of this show and perhaps cover some of our soundcloud fees but also um in subscribing to this you'll be added to what we're referring to as the wall of patrons and comrades um where it's gonna be it's gonna be glorious and your name will be there and um i'm going to be sticking that up as soon as we have our first patron so that's that's good um, and then follow up there, the follow up to that is Operator Class Indigo. Uh, this is the secondary level that's going to be $5 a month. And um, this is what gets you um, as well as the as well as a, as a place on the wall of comrades and uh, comrades and patrons. Uh, you'll also be getting access to the encrypted transmissions. So this kind of like solid gold content will be readily available to you. Um, please don't leak it. Uh, then um, <laughs> Then we've got our kind of. Then we 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 decided to add another class, um, which is called the um, Vector of Chaos 
operator class vermilion. Um, and this is solely for patrons who want to just be an agent of chaos. They, um, it carries no additional benefits despite being $20 a month. It's basically just if you're feeling particularly generous and want to, want to see the continued proliferation of, um, of the, the strange, um, the strange kind of quasi-critical, heavily occulted, uh, discourse that we're formed a brand out of i guess <laughs> uh yes and it's also yeah. just if um you want to keep us in the lifestyle to which we have become accustomed so yeah go. people have spent more money on worse things <laughs> so um but yeah so i think that's that's what's happening with our very specific corner of the internet but moving on to a less specific and then a more specific and then an even and then an incredibly specific um part of the internet uh, we are recording in the week, perhaps, you know, not quite at ground zero, but certainly very much still in the throes of, um, of, uh, kind of, you know, witch panic, uh, satanic, uh, pizza conspiracy hell sphere, um, which has this week taken the form of a, um, a, a total pale bird-like beautiful entity called Momo. Sean, what is Momo? Momo. Momo is life. She is death, the beginning, the end. Uh, Momo. Momo is... Uh, Momo is an internet hoax, uh, in essence. Momo is this is a... So, Momo is a, a supposed uh, challenge that... Uh, or challenge in inverted commas that has started to do the, uh, the, um, the rounds on uh, Mom and Pop uh, Twitter and Facebook, especially. especially. The, <laughs> or Boomer uh, Facebook. Well, Facebook. Uh, so, supposedly, this is what happens. Um, you, typically a child in the story, gets a WhatsApp request from a profile called Momo, and you're encouraged to accept Momo and uh, as, as your lady and saviour. And But then, over the course of your interactions with Momo, uh, Momo starts giving you dares to do. And as things progress... These the challenges that Momo uh, asks of you become weirder and more aggressive and start to involve um, harming yourself. And if you start to refuse Momo and her dreadful bloodied love, um, Momo will start to threaten you or send you gory pictures. And also throughout all of this, make it very very clear that you cannot tell your parents about this. So what's interesting about Momo is that this is complete nonsense. There is not a single verified case in all the world, genuinely nowhere, of this thing happening, of a kid getting a message from an account called Momo with threatening messages telling him to do stuff. This this isn't this isn't true. This is untrue. However, what we are seeing here is just hyperstition in absolute practice we are seeing some a fiction a completely unreal thing a story gaining traction and starting to occupy people's minds and alter their behavior as exactly as if it were true uh again this, this is takes us all the way back to our blair witch episode um where we discussed uh and we're going to have a few words about this later on where we discussed the slender man but what's become yeah. like interesting about this is despite the fact again this is completely untrue it's been covered in 
the national news. It's been featured on uh, the BBC. The uh, Northern Irish uh, Police Department, um, the successor to the Royal Ulster, Royal Ulster Constabulary, issued an official warning on their Facebook page about this thing that's going around hurting the children, and it's because and it has, in exactly the same way that um, a witch panic operates. It has well, maybe not exactly the same way because as far as I'm aware, no one's you know being killed. Um, you know, uh, on grounds that they are in league with Momo and her dark minions, uh, but th- it has very much taken on a life of its own, and it is something that, like to the extent that, like some of the warnings we have been put out now, are telling people do not look into this, leave this be. Almost as if enough people start to believe in Momo, it, be- it starts to make it true. And indeed, actually, on a practical point, there is um, at least a possibility. There's enough people suggesting that um, enough people talking about this kind of thing, this situation of these threatening messages uh, manipulating people could even lead this to be a thing that starts to happen. Um, And despite the fact that it begins, despite the fact it began completely in uh, the realm of fiction, it it is possible that simply through a collective belief in it, it will start to concretize itself. Yeah, and I mean, I just wanted to come in on a certain point because obviously, you know, this is, you know, this is almost kind of like a narrative we've seen before in Slenderman because, um, you know, that obviously that did have a real kind of knock on effect where to, as we discussed in our Blair Witch episode, two teenage young, well, sort of adolescent girls tried to kill one of their peers uh, in an effort to kind of placate Slenderman. Um, And that's, I mean... What's interesting about that, though, is, or if we're thinking about Slenderman and Momo, is there are kind of certain functional differences. Um, because while while we have a clear ground, well, ground zero, I keep saying ground zero, but, you know, we have a clear point of origin for um, Slenderman in that, like, we know exactly where he came from, in that he comes from... Um, that uh, specific um, was it something awful on Newgrounds or something? Whether it was, the, it was something uh, awful, yeah. The art competition, just, yeah, and yeah, and it's got like the children. I think we described them in the, the uh, in the episode as actually running from Slenderman in the background of that picture. But I think I don't think they're actually reacting to Slenderman at all, or rather, they're kind of what they're kind of surrounding him in a kind of reverence, which is interesting because that is that is kind of um, that's a lot of foreshadowing for what would eventually happen, but. Um, but then but yeah, there's an the identifiable yeah. patient zero um, yeah. for uh, Slenderman. Um, whereas this, we don't have that. I mean, it might come to light that there is actually something very specific. Um, well, I said we do... Actually, we have some. We don't have something specific for how the um, the mythos of Momo, this thing, this like online hoax, came into existence. But... We do actually have a um, we do actually have a source for the image of Momo because you know one thing we haven't touched on is the fact that Momo is kind of creepy and but the the it's actually a, the entity of Momo who was never called Momo in the first place she was um, I'm saying she and I'm going to continue saying she because I, she is she has taken on that level for us um, I believe the statue was called well yeah it's. It's not just a creepy face that's appeared out of nowhere. It is a um, sculpture that was made by an artist called... Um, I've, just, I've got the article, but the name is escaping me. Uh, Kaizuke Aisawa. Um, and it's a surrealist sculpture called uh, Mother Bird. I believe it's supposed to be um, the kind of... The, the conceit uh, behind a, that. 
Yeah, sorry. Yes, yeah, a demon from Japanese folklore, uh, an ubumi, ubume, yeah. which I probably, which I'm certain I'm saying awfully. Yeah, and the conceit there is that um, this is, it's like, you know when you get like, oh, here's, here, it's that same kind of quality of the uncanny where people are saying like, oh, here's like a hyper-realistic sculpture of Marge Simpson we made, and it's really disgusting and unpleasant. Or, or indeed, here's a live-action Sonic we made, and it's disgusting and unpleasant and uncanny. Um, but, you know, oh god, we're gonna... If this is, you know, oh god, if, um... If Momo is, you know, patient zero in this, like, what... That, well, I think what I've been working up to here is the fact that... In a certain sense, we could think of Sunderman as almost like a dry run for what Momo might potentially become if Momo does take on the same kind of cultural impact as Slenderman or becomes such a thing in and of itself as we've, as we've actually started seeing, but that's something I want to go on to in a moment. Um, but, but yeah, so, because, I mean, we actually have like a precursor for um, Slenderman in the form of the Black Eyed Kids, which I'll link a Skeptoid episode about, and it's something I definitely want to bring up at some point in the future, but the whole, the whole thing with the Black Eyed Kids thing, it's, it's an older urban legend from the 90s, but that itself has Do you want to explain that, just in case uh, people okay. don't know what that so, is? Okay, so Black Eyed Kids are... Uh, it's, well, it's a connected series of stories of people saying that like they were approached by children who tried to kind of gain their trust or do things like let us into your car or give us a lift home or let us into your house, um, playing up their kind of vulnerability and saying we don't know where our mom is, but then you look at them and actually they've got dead, soulless black eyes and... If you let them into your house, you're damning yourself because they are in fact some sort of demon entity or something. Um, but in the Skeptoid episode, and I'm just going to say this, uh, but we'll also link to that episode because it is interesting. Um, they they actually found a point of origin for this because they find the first, the original Usenet post where a guy is talking about his experiences of um, and Usenet for those because I know we do have a lot of kind of like older, technologically quite. Um, nuanced listeners, but also we may have some younger listeners. Uh, I don't Usenet know what Usenet affected... is. <laughs> Usenet, from what I can gather, was like, it was kind of a bit like Reddit, or rather like Reddit was, the way Reddit is formed is um, evocative of the old school days of uh, Usenet, which is very much I identified with the kind of freewheeling lawlessness Wild West um, patchwork of the, um, of the, of the kind of, of the, the early internet. Um, and so, and, and so it's kind of, it's a, Reddit was kind of an evocation, a celebration of that, but Usenet was essentially just a news board, a message board, but one that had different channels or threads in the same way that, um, that Reddit has different things like ask Reddit or r slash this, um, very, very similar form like that. But like, it was on kind of like Usenet occult forums where they had this story. And um, it was just typical kind of, uh, I think that was the one where he wouldn't let the black-eyed kids into his car. Um, and then after that, um, someone found, like, if you just look, I think you could just like click on the username and see the other posts they'd made. And one of the other posts was um, the same guy talking about, I think it was inspired by his readings about Tibet or sp possibly specifically uh, the seven years in Tibet story. Um, where they're talking about the idea of the tulpa, um, something that will get your um, Twin Peaks season three bells a jangling if you've seen Ooh. it. But um, yeah, the guy invents a tulpa. He tries to create this thought entity of like a um, 
it's a it's a monk initially, and he imagines him as this kind of fat jolly man, but then he loses control of the tulpa, and it starts changing appearance and obeying him less as it takes on its own will. Um, and he was fascinated with the idea of um, of having this entity that would um, that would that you know that could be created out of thought and given a reality that way. You know, a very much kind of like. Um, a literal version of what we might think of as hyperstition. Um, but then he, his um, thread was just speculating about how if you could seed an urban legend with this intention into the, um, into the wider sphere, into, say, something as big and expansive as the internet, could you give it this kind of reality? And then he made the Black Eyed Kids thing. So the Black Eyed Kids was essentially a conscious, you know, it's fairly safe to assume Black Eyed Kids was a conscious attempt to create an urban legend that might, he was hoping, turn into a reality. Um, well, that's a horrifying thing to do. Yeah. And, and actually, now, go, but go, then, go. then, yeah, and then Sunderman, 20, 30 years later, is actually, here it is. Well, 20 years later. But yeah, the, and uh, what we also are seeing with Momo, actually, just, uh, just going back to what I was saying about how it's conceivable that people would maybe try and make this real. Um, there are already cases of people like... Um, uh shoot or like um inserting image like the infomomo image um into like kids videos on youtube or videos that mm. purport to be like just pepper pig or something like for yeah. the express purpose of just upsetting children because also there's a very good i think it was just a medium article yeah I I, just a medium article i'm not gonna <laughs> yeah actually that, but... i was just thinking the same thing that i have a yeah. on my computer by uh, it's the uh, the article something is wrong on the internet by james bridal yeah, which is precisely about it's a similar kind of thing. It was related um, uh, the article being about this weird nightmare scape on kids' YouTube of um, procedurally generated uh, animation to just incorporate all of the different things that um, kids are looking for on the internet, like um, songs, about, like nursery rhymes and songs about numbers and superheroes and stuff, and just mm. incorporated them into a completely uh, um, disordinate chaotic mess of nightmare and terror um yeah. and actually the, the youtuber dan olsen uh foldable human um did a video sort of like spinning off from this essay a couple of years ago which you can find um which we will link out to where he actually does some digging and he thinks he's figured out exactly who it is that's responsible for these particular videos it's very well uh, it's very interesting it's very interesting because it's also the fact that like some of it is purely algorithmic some of it is like algorithms telling people what to do which is a creepy one which um is covered in the article but it's also the fact that well while um while the algorithms are fucked up and can can make something unpleasant out of something benign it's also the case that there's just unpleasant content that is a available for these algorithms to incorporate. There's like really nasty, like deliberately upsetting stuff that gets, that's either deliberately or accidentally leaking into the algorithm and and becoming part of what we're seeing. Mm. Um, but yeah, and also the fact that people on the internet are weird, you know, we've got stuff like the Gobgo Gabgalab and that, that whole fucking nightmare. Oh my escape. God, the Gobgo Gabgalab, yeah. Um, and which is, you know, and it's, it sort of becomes meme fuel, but it even, even when it's memed, uh, it doesn't, in those cases, it doesn't detract from the creepiness. Whereas, um, whereas I think in the case of Momo, that's not really been the case. Um, and sure, do you want to... Well, actually, yeah. Basically, in the same... Well, long... 
I think this is a very, very roundabout way of saying like Momo is now a queer icon and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> and it was always it was always right that this should happen. Um, well, okay, so the depiction of the Night Mother, it's... I, I That's a thing, like... <laughs> So you'll have to explain I'm, what I'm the night. Pressed to, sorry, you can't lose. You like as as brilliant as our listeners are. You can't assume that they will know what the night mother is. The night. Actually, I don't know what the night mother is. I, I that was my mistaking of the title of the work, which is Mother Bird. The night mother. Shit. No, the night mother is from uh, the uh, Elder Scrolls series. But <laughs> I I I like to think of I like to think of her as the night mother. I don't know. But basically, I don't. I don't know what this... So, I mean, there's there's a certain degree to which the uh, memification of Momo was inevitable because um, because it's human nature to see things that are initially scary or, or see something identifiable or cute in scary things. Um, and so, you know, and, you know, this is... We, we, we all, to some extent or other, grew up on Tim Burton. We, you know, we, um, we know the kind of the humanity behind the monstrous... Um, but also, for for reasons which I think require more unpacking that it, than is possible uh, in the space of this episode, um, she's been adopted as kind of a queer icon, but specifically a queer icon for extremely online queer people. Um, so there's a lot of fan art of her. There's a lot of lewd fan art of her, which uh, or lewds, as the kids are saying, uh, apparently. Uh, well, no, I'm. I'm 30, so I don't know. But but no, uh sorry, like Ludes. Um but at the same time there's people um people saying like no, like let's 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 not let's not make Ludes of of Mother Bird. Let's respect her as our mother. Um and there's that whole thing and and also kind of the fact that she's called Mother Bird has kind of kind of seeped we entered a kind of crossing point with the nomenclature of contemporary online queer culture, the idea of like well, you know, I'm Sean. You've referred to me as your goth mom, and I'm very happy to have you as my large adult son. Excellent. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's 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 the situation with this podcast. But and you know, uh, under do you, uh, Luce, do you know who else was com- uh, was described as a mother bird? Who? Uh, a guy you might have heard of with some wacky ideas about peace and love called Jesus. Oh yeah. Okay. So, however, however online you are, you're never getting away from the from the Anglo-Catholicism. It turns out our dis, dis, uh, discussions of the fundamental disgustingness of nature and the and the the painful the painful existence of the parasitic wasp didn't fundamentally shake Sean's beliefs, <laughs> nor his faith in humanity through our and I do apologise, disgusting. I say ah, it was entirely my needless diatribe about sex robots that it was tangentially related but i think i lost the thread of that i was extremely drunk but we were so, very it was a very yeah. very drunken episode but yes. now 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 momo is a queer icon and it is good and i think it's at this point of the episode i should point out that yes i did spend a good deal of um last night dressing as momo and the pictures are online um, does this wait a minute, if I'm following through with my like weird interpretation of this, does this mean that Momo died for our sins? Because I think it did. I think it um, does. I think her image took on more than her physical presence, <laughs> and through this is some sort of route to redemption, whether it be a Christian redemption, whether it be a kind of secular moral 
redemption, or perhaps some combination of different factors. I'm going um, to start using momic as an adjective. I'm not sure momic. what for yet, but I will use it. Mm. Uh, it's I, interesting yeah. as well that this isn't, like, even within like the last few years, this isn't the first time that um, uh, like a, a horror thing, so to speak, has mm-hmm. just very quickly been taken up by the internet as a queer icon. It happened with the Babadook. Yeah, um, do you want to talk about like what happened with that? Because I'm not sure if we, we didn't really discuss notes, but um, so what's your take on the Babadook? Um, God, what is my take of the Babadook? No, it's just interesting that the Babadook, because I think the reason why uh, he became, and specifically uh, a gay icon, like mm-hmm. within the realm of queerness, something was picked up by a gay man. I think it is because the Babadook's um, theatricality in uh, in his dress, in that he has this kind of like neo-Victorian thing with a top hat and a long coat. Oh, God. Which he has... probably, if he spoke at all, it was probably in Polari. Yeah. yeah and as well as that within uh, mild spoilers for the film as well like the role that he plays as the thing that you have to accept even if it's painful had does have a certain like quite a classic resonance there i think um within the queer community uh, in general sort of like the fact that there is a certain uh element where it feels it can feel like a destructive presence in your life but you can't but you deal with it by incorporating it into yourself into your life and beca- and it le- allowing it to become part of yourself and realizing that it isn't something to be afraid of ultimately yeah i mean that's i think that's actually probably a better answer than i was than the one i was going to give because like that is basically my understanding is that the reason why the babadook became a gay icon was more or less an accident because um the youtube and uh, not the youtube algorithm the um the netflix algorithm that carried the the um pre- presented the babadook uh cl- classified it as a gay film oh um, it did didn't it yeah and i think that might have been just because like that was... netflix fucks up like that all the time it's like i've seen there's a very very interesting um screen grab of um of like a documentary called Hitler and the Nazis with like pictures of like a massive SS regiment and then the description is out and proud in London and San Francisco the gay <laughs> men of the um, and you know that was that was kind of beautiful um so yeah <laughs> um so you know i think a similar thing happened so um yeah so babadook became um became a gay icon that way but also i think like i think what you were talking about precipitated did a lot to precipitate that and i think it kind of made it right and also that's the reason why it stuck it wasn't just a kind of like a slight chuckle um mm. and then was that like 2015 26 no, yeah yeah it was it was a few years ago but now. basically um a mate of mine was at london pride that year and was just live tweeting about like how many babadooks he'd seen in the parade <laughs> already or or there was the thing the babashook or babashook um Sean, you're, I'm sure leaders, uh, read, listeners will forgive me. Leaders, readers, um, listeners will forgive me. I'm, I don't know what shook means, and I'm. I don't know sorry. what shook means. I'm I know it's gay. something gay. As in, I'm sure it <laughs> yeah, must I'm, be. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm afraid. I'm like the most boomer-sounding trans woman imaginable at this point. But um, but yeah. So, but that's that's the Babadook. Um, there was another. Well, this brings us back to the the night. The mother bird Momo, um, in that like I feel like she's specifically a trans icon, um, like 
Well, isn't this may just be the, the uh, uh, a side product of the um, of the um, of the corners of the internet I understandably occupy. Uh, but at the same time, I think in the same way you were describing, uh, there is a kind of cultural impact to the Babadook that made him very identifiable for uh, for, for specifically gay. Was was it specifically gay men? Or I mean, just... I said that, but I'm actually not even certain that. I think that is actually mm. over-specifying it. I think it does I think, refer to yeah. a common queer experience. But I think I, I think I don't know. I, I think I'm I think I'm with that. Um, but like, in, but in the same way, kind of the cultural background that made um, made Momo applicable to trans trans culture was the fact that um, I think there's. I mean, this is probably just. Uh, I think it might even be more symptomatic of like our generation um and you know the happening to be the generation in which kind of um being trans became a, a, a point of public discussion for better or worse or you know certainly a thing of public awareness for better or worse but um but even before that there was there was a long-standing history of well i suppose no this is this is for both queerness but also uh trans culture um the embracing of the monstrous or kind of um there's that whole idea that I'm probably gonna I want to talk about in future episodes the idea of kind of body horror and dysphoria that whole connection and the potentially kind of liberating narrative that can arise from that um and there are some examples I want to talk about but I can't actually remember what they are but um there's a well uh, a, a figure who will now be quite familiar to you on the show um Elle Sandifer in one in her book uh Near Reaction of Basilisk one of the last essays is a um, is a long and very well. It's actually one of the shorter ones, but it's a very good essay on kind of turfs and specifically how um, transphobic radical feminist ideology formulated what its original uh, tenets were, the cultural things that came out of it. Um, but then towards the end of that, devotes a section to talking about how um, kind of trans literature and trans. Um, I don't want to say trans ideology because that's an extremely loaded and often flagrantly misappropriated term. Um, but how kind of trans writers kind of formed a response, formed a kind of formed their own kind of literary milieu to um, not combat this, but just to find a space, to eke out a space in the same way that, you know, um, a century earlier, uh, the decadence would have done for um, for their own well for kind of queer culture of its time, uh, and this um, this kind of was I th- one of, I, I know for a fact I don't I couldn't check the book this morning because I I've, I think we've lent it to one of our pals, um, but um, but basically there's like one of the things that she's talking about is kind of like some, a figure working with the idea of monsters as um, a liberatory trans narrative. Uh, but one of the other things she talks about is a book that I'm just going to actually look up the name for, but um, well, no, look up the author of, because you know, there's the one of the classic um, like massive turfy volumes, which a lot of the uh, trad um, trad like core turf tenants are derived from, is one called the Transsexual Empire. Yes, um, just, who was that's, who's the author of that? Uh, I'm just bringing it up now. Okay, uh, it was. Uh, Janice Raymond. Yeah. Who had uh, the transsexual so, empire. That's it, yeah. Um, but basically one of the responses to that was um, was a book brilliantly called by well, by a lady called Sandy Stone, who has her own very interesting history, which we should talk about at another point. But um, but her book, um, her riposte to that was called The Empire 
scare quotes empire strikes back a post-transsexual manifesto um which is kind of I haven't read it, but I but reading yeah, she co- of his yeah, description. Yeah, she uh, co-wrote that with uh, Donna J. Haraway, who is the author of oh, the yeah. um, uh, the Cyborg Manifesto. Because mm. I was about to say, it does definitely have vibes which were precursors of what we we're seeing now in things like xenofeminism, uh, which I'm also reading at the moment, which is also very good. Um, which is yeah, that's an interesting one because it's like it's very very heavily kind of praxis based. It's very methodical in that. But I, I've got I've, we've we've more time other time to devote to that. But but yeah, it's kind of I think it was like kind of the use of the villain, like you know, because it's the empire striking back, and there's that kind of odd catharsis of that concept of like the re- resurgent um, bad guys, bad um, well, bad you know, uh, screen baddies having 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 their revenge and you know the the uh, the kind of darker kind of identification with that which is very very cool um i think that could be understood as an extension of the monstrous and certainly that's something that has figured strongly in my kind of mental landscape that i perhaps may put into more coherent words at a point in time but but that's interesting um that but, is yeah, that's, interesting yeah that's interesting um but also i think it's useful to go back to um, Marble Hornet, well, Slender Man at this point, but specifically uh, Marble Hornets, which we didn't, I believe, talk about at any length, or perhaps even name drop in the uh, Blair Witch episode, but is very integral because there was a definite mythos emerged around Slender Man, something that developed on the internet, and like, because you hear about Slender Man, you hear about the first principles, and then you hear the account of the girls who attempted to murder one of their um, one of their peers, and it's like. The jump between that and that is very interesting because, like, the explanations they gave for that are so heavily tied up with the mythos, with very specific elements of the mythos of, like, things you need to do to appease Slender Man to get to his mansion in the woods, which is in this park, which is just the kind of... Just that alone gives a very, very interesting depiction of a mental landscape of, like, it's it's just a, a regular kind of, like... Uh, park, you know, national park space, but it's then got this taken on this mythic quality, which I, I love that juxtaposition of like kind of the mundane and the and the supernatural. I think it's I think it's very evocative, and, um, and certainly certainly you know that whole idea of using space in that way is something to explore when we talk about super a hyperstition more in future. But um, but yeah, so basically the mythos of Slenderman and the kind of the distinctly urban quality it got, I think, uh, and also the, the associations with technology, was not entirely originating in, but a lot of specific elements of it did originate in this web series called Marble Hornets, which I would thoroughly recommend everyone see. It's fantastic. It's made by a kind of collective uh, who were otherwise known as uh, Troy Has a Camera, who I think have like now split under fairly acrimonious circumstances, which is kind of sad. Uh, but it was uh, Troy... Joseph and Tim um, were the core part of that team, um, and they they produced this this thing. And crucially about that, it was prop- it was one of the earliest attempts. I think it was kind of like an even more nuanced building on the the uh, hyperstition of the, the the much more kind of deliberate hyperstition of the Blair Witch Project. Well, I mean, it's both a deliberate, but um, basically, it was using the internet in a more direct sense because it was releasing these videos live. Uh, in real time this was something that was supposedly happening and it was these little fragments of videos from a guy who was supposedly a filmmaker who had been given this collection by another filmmaker who'd abandoned a project under mysterious circumstances the project being a film called Marble Hornets 
Um, but as he begins to watch the tapes, because um, he's like, well, don't throw this work away, let me see it. And the guy obliges, strangely. And when he sees it, he um, he's, he realises that this person is being pursued by a supernatural or just very, very sinister figure who we'll, who we'll all know to, to come to know and love as Slenderman, although they love never call him fear, that. Yes. yes, they call him the operator, I think, if they... Um, if they need to give him a name at all in Marble Hornets, but it's very, very good. Um, but I think just one tie into that, and perhaps this is how we could wrap things up today, is um, is the fact that so one of the creators, Tim Sutton, who is on Twitter as at Flaming Buttwind, um, was which is the best ever handle, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, basically. Um, Actually, no, I'm just looking at the tweet now, but it's actually a quote tweet of a thread. Actually, wait, no. So he tweeted, basically, what I've learned from online is that uh, Marble Hornets has been causing gay awakening among teens for years now. Um, but also, um, specifically, um, he then he then elaborates, of course, I mean, LGBT plus in general here, I couldn't tell you the exact percentage of MH... Um, of, of Marble Hornets fans are trans, but it's a lot. And it is actually a lot. And I was... Um, curious about this that there seems to be some sort of connection between because you know we didn't I don't think it's possible to identify Slenderman as being having having any kind of like trans identification in the same way that it's just it seems to have happened sui generis with um Momo. with Momo but um but I, I I retweeted that with like we're definitely going to engage with this question specifically when we properly do Marble Hornets uh, which I don't think is is ha is what's happening right now. I think there is definitely something. There's more we want to do on that. Um, and he says, uh, "Let me know when you do." So, hey, we're gonna hey, let you know when hey, we do. Hey, Tim. Also, I... we all adore Tim. He's great. Um, like I think he's got. I think like he's one of the. He was the one that could really act of that team because they were all like, they were kind of like pretty competent filmmakers, but they're all fairly winging it with acting but he pulled out some real chops especially with difficult stuff towards the end when he was doing like monologues to camera which it's I so hard to, not to, to my make shame cheesy. to my shame i've never finished marble hornets because there is there was it is, it is it's like five hours or something yeah i don't um, know maybe we should do that um of a weekend loose maybe oh, after after yeah. your birthday party we can just do all of marble hornets okay yeah let's do that um so so further interactions with Mr. Tim Sutton are pending. Um, I'm probably just going to like, f I'm not going to do a ref thread for this episode, but I will just share a fan video someone put together of scenes of Tim in Marble Hornets to um, Placebo's cover of Kate Bush's Running Up That Hill, uh, because I found it extremely moving. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so this has been our trial run of, um, of Weird Signal encrypted transmissions although this itself is not encrypted um encrypted lol um and so yeah, uh, they will going... there will probably will be more because this was uh largely a spontaneous thing they will probably be more planned out than this has proved yeah. to be but they're still going to be relatively informal they're going to be uh us chatting over other things and Excellent. we hope that you join us there and i hope that you have fun with us and uh totally yeah, we'll still be turning out the regular episodes. We are mm -hmm. going to be recording uh, a week from today. Not going to say mm. what, but uh, it's going to uh, be I like good. the fact that we're living at surprises now, because we didn't do that initially for like the first year. And then we were like, what if we don't tell people we're doing the thing? I, yes. think, I think I think they, they love it. I think yeah. they need this. They need that kind of... They need our kind of 
I mean, they need to be kept on edge constantly. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be saying that. But anyway, <laughs> um, well, we're constantly on edge. We're like, <laughs> especially we're, me. Yes, we're wrecks of humans. And on yeah, that note... We're, uh, we're staring... No, I'm... We're staring into the oncoming wrath of the screaming edge of now. Um, and I think we're going to ever continue doing so. Um, so I think until we release another film episode... I'm going to say, stay weird. And keep it signal. I I usually say goodnight here, but it is like literally... It's one in the afternoon. It's one in the afternoon. It has been more often than not, but I can't really keep up that premise when uh, when I'm not drunk, I guess. I just tell myself it's the night time if I'm drunk. No one needs to know this, Luce. No. All right. Anyway, goodnight. Bye.